Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague Joe Healy. And we are here on Tuesday, June 7th, to wrap up regionals. NCAA tournament got underway over the weekend, and it was it was a packed-out packed weekend, as regionals weekend always is. Uh, it was a fun weekend of, of college baseball around the country. As uh, you know, we narrowed the field already to uh, to 16 teams. Joe and I were both at regionals. Joe was in Blacksburg. I was in College Park. Uh, but we were monitoring what was going on around the country. And so we uh, we have a lot to get to today here uh, on the podcast. We're going to try and hit on all 16 of the regionals. Um, and uh, we'll uh, maybe start to take a, a peek forward at Super Regionals. But really, that we're going to save the preview. If you're, if you're here... To, to get the breakdown on Super Regionals, you're going to have to wait till later in the week. Um, but make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America College Podcast because we come at you twice a week uh, throughout the postseason. Uh, and so your favorite podcasting app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we'll, we'll have that preview for you on Thursday. Um, but today, Joe, today we're going to focus on the regionals themselves and like I said, it was uh, it was a fun weekend of college baseball. Yeah, I'd say so. It was um, it took a little time to get going. I feel like I feel like Friday was not without interesting things, but Friday was extremely chalky, and I think hinted at the idea that we weren't going to have a lot of bananas regional winners, right? Um, and that obviously turned out to be the case, but. Things did pick up on Saturday. We started getting some of the typical regional craziness on Saturday, and Sunday was even more. Uh, Saturday was really marked by a really, really good winner's bracket evening window in terms of quality. You know, Sunday was just kind of the typical regional final window was just bonkers um, because you're then you're getting to the point where teams are getting desperate and running out of pitching and, and the whole thing. And, and, and we still got a, a pretty good Monday. You know, the, the Monday games are, for my money, regional Monday games are some of the most stressful games. I'm glad I don't, you know, I'm not a fan of, of this and I'm not, don't have rooting interests and all that because they're stressful enough for me as just a neutral observer. I can't imagine having a team in a regional final on Monday. That just seems like not a very healthy way to live because no one has pitching. No one feels comfortable. You know, it's going to be a, a fight from the, from the start. Um, those are just stressful innings from, from start to finish, but we got, I think it was 10 games yesterday. Um, and a lot of them delivered. So a good weekend that, you know, started off slow, but by the end it was, you know, it felt like it always does in regionals and that's just kind of crazy and fun and exhilarating and exhausting. I don't want to, you know, we, we want to focus on the games. We don't want to focus as much on some of the regional tropes or extended storylines that always seem to pop up like the, the pitching question, the format question, et cetera. 
Uh, but one thing I did want to touch on, Joe, before we dive into the region by region stuff, this year, uh, for the first time since 2009, and I think it was for the third or fourth time, I think the fourth time since the format expanded to 64 teams in 1999, all 16 number one seeds won no on their opening game. There were no four seed over one seed upsets. And you, you mentioned that there were, you know, on Friday, everything was pretty chalky and um, you know, the two, three games were about 50, 50, but the, there were no colossal upsets because none of the four seats won. And I mean, I put that down, I think mostly to, there were a lot of upsets in conference tournaments. That's why bids kept getting stolen and the bubble kept shrinking. And that meant that the four seats were not that great, but maybe that, like, I haven't really taken a dive into that to, to see how accurate that is. Did you think this was more about the ones or the fours or just randomness? Well, so it's interesting. So I, if you made me answer, I'd say probably randomness. I mean, that's typically the answer in these kind of things. We, we always look for patterns and answers and randomness controls so much of it. Um, my initial thought was though, cause I've thought about this too. My initial thought was the four seeds being weaker. And I think they probably were because again, we had some, conference tournament upsets however most of the conferences we're talking about being four seeds are one bid leagues and the team coming out of those conferences wasn't going to be awesome anyway right and then the leagues where we may have missed out on a team that could have given somebody a run like if you really thought davidson could have given you a run well vcu did just as good i mean DC, vcu got to a regional final and went two and oh and, and pushed unc and, and the whole they, bit. they did but they got to the three line um because sure. there were some of these upsets you know For if sure. there if there are less upsets then you don't have to push some of these teams to the three line yeah i just i i guess i'd have to really examine like what three should have been fours, you know, because VCU also felt like a, I didn't see. What yeah. VCU is not RPI a great was. example of that because their RPI was pretty good. Ultimately like Davidson had a worse RPI and would have been a four, but VCU was not a surprising three Columbia, which got to a regional final probably shouldn't have been a three, but at the same time their RPI was, I just felt like the resume didn't really reflect that except for the, the RPI, you know, Penn deserved a three. I felt like for beating A&M, but they didn't make it, you know, Columbia didn't have that on their resume. Yeah. So it's an interesting conversation because I I've spent some time thinking about it. Although a regional weekend is busy enough. You don't really have a lot of time to just sit around and ponder no. things. No. Um, <laughs> but um, that is definitely something to look at. Maybe if I have a little more time, just because I, that my perception was, yeah, it's like a week four seed crop. And then, but I'd have to really go through and examine like, okay, well, how many of those, how many teams got pushed to the three that should have been fours? Because maybe that number is, is as lower than we think. I don't know. So I would put it to randomness. I also just think there's something to, like we kept talking about the mediocrity at the top of college baseball this year. And, and I stand by that. And I think we saw some of that over the weekend, but it also says something that we kept being kind of nonplussed by the teams that have populated the top 10 and top 15 of the rankings. And yet they stayed in the top 10 or top 15 in the rankings. Um, so I think that just goes to show like, okay, we don't love some of these teams that are hosting regionals. And in some case, we don't love some of these teams that are top eights, but nobody's taken it from them. Um, so I think there's something there too, but, but I think just general randomness and we were kind of due for a year like this and, and we have years like this from time to time. And, um, 
you know, it's part of not knowing what to expect when we go into a regional weekend. I I actually think that thought you were going somewhere slightly different with that uh, when you started down the the road of being nonplussed with those teams. We also tried a variety of teams at the back of the top 25 early in the season, and a lot of them didn't stick. And then, you know, by the end of the season, when we were, you know, looking for teams, we weren't finding that many teams um, that, that we really liked. And there just weren't, I, I guess, to me, that also speaks to the quality of mid-major champions and the like that, you know, if the top end of the sport was a little mediocre this year, so was the bottom end. And ultimately, most of, not even just most, by far the majority of the the number one seeds advanced. So maybe it does say a lot about the the quality of the ones how they played this weekend. Um, that that so many of them not only won their first game, and we do know what that means towards winning the whole regional, uh, but they won their first game and they advanced. So maybe the these teams just were appropriately rewarded as as the top 16 teams uh by and large Alrighty, though let's uh let's get rolling here and we might as well just start with the number one overall seed that's tennessee they swept through the knoxville regional uh if you look at the score it says that they really didn't sweat that much if you just look at the final scores they beat alabama state 10 to nothing and then they uh you know scored a bunch of runs on campbell and uh, the final score against Georgia Tech in the regional final is not that close. But in reality, Joe, they they really had to sweat. They had to come back against Campbell and Georgia Tech. And the Georgia Tech comeback, they left just about as late as they possibly could leave it. Yeah, I mean, it was it, on the I think we talked about this in the preview episode, but like on the spectrum of draws they could have gotten, it's actually kind of a tricky draw for them, considering they're the number one overall seed. You know, they they you know, got Campbell, which we know how talented they are. And we saw how they pushed them. And we got Georgia tech that is tricky because it's an elite offense at the bare minimum. And so if they find pitching and they did, by the way, like that's the thing is closer Zach Maxwell, they flip him to a starter in the regional final and throws. I didn't see every out of this outing, but I was keeping up with it pretty closely and looked as good as I've ever seen him look frankly. And so he throws the game of his career and his stuff is elite and like, Bada bing, that puts Tennessee in a, tri- a tricky situation. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they really did get pushed, and, and maybe that's a maybe that's a, a good thing. Um, rather than coasting through it, we know Notre Dame is going to be game. Um, you know, and we'll talk about Notre Dame later, of course. But you know, Notre Dame back to back years gets the what turned out to be the national champions in super regionals, and is now facing the prohibitive favorite to be national champions in super regionals. So back-to-back tough ones there, but, but yeah, I mean, this was not, there are some teams that kind of waltz through regionals. Tennessee was not one of them. I don't think that's on them necessarily. I don't think they did anything particularly poorly. Um, I just think they got a relatively tough draw by a couple teams that were, were game for it. You know, Campbell obviously is talented enough and Georgia tech is not only talented, but they are a team that, that, um, you know, does sometimes kind of play up to the moment and, and play down to opponents that that aren't as, as big a deal. So um, that, you know, seeing that wasn't too much of a surprise and Tennessee getting through it also not much of a surprise. I'm not unconcerned about the way Tennessee pitched this weekend. Um, seven runs to Campbell, six runs to Georgia Tech. I mean, both of those teams could hit and they were playing in Knoxville. And obviously the ball was jumping there. If you look at the scores throughout the weekend, you know, whether the, they involve Tennessee or not. Um, 
something to consider going forward is all. Um, but yeah, for the most part here, Tennessee just went out and did a job and uh, they move on. And so do we. Let's go to Stanford. Number two seed Stanford wins the Stanford Regional. And uh, this one, as, as it feels like so often happens, Stanford is on this run where they host regionals every year. And it just feels like every single year Stanford gets pushed. Um, this year it was Texas state doing the pushing Texas state was the two seed and they won the winner's bracket game on Saturday, uh, forcing Stanford to, to fight back through, uh, through the losers bracket and Stanford was game to do it. Uh, but again, even on, uh, in, in game seven on Monday night, Stanford needed to score three runs in the bottom of the ninth to walk it off against Texas state after they fell behind in the top of the ninth. And they did it in like unbelievable fashion, back-to-back home runs to lead off the ninth inning for Stanford. And then, you know, little used freshman comes through as a pinch hitter to, to walk off your regional final. Like I just, it was, it was crazy scenes last night. at sunken. Yeah, you, you feel for Texas State. I mean, with credit to Stanford, obviously, like that's a that's a impressive comeback. You know, you feel for Texas State because they did the hard part, I feel like, which is as kind of the underdog in a Monday regional final, like you found the pitching. Like you, I mean, that was a 1-1 game going to the ninth. Like you held off. Speaking very, of that, do you mm-hmm. think, so they used, their, they went closer to yeah, start divers, that game. Yeah, And he's really good. Do you think they maybe regret that? Like, should they have flipped it? Should they have tried to open and then go to Stivers in like the third inning or whatever? It's a good question. I mean, that's easy to say. Um, and I know you're just throwing it out there. Like, I don't, you know. But yes, I, I'm not here to say that they screwed this up. I, it, it's, <laughs> right. it's just a, like you say, like, oh, they did the hard part. They found the pitching. But I don't know. Like, I, a lot of people would tell you, well, the hard part is the last three outs of the game, Joe. Yeah, and for they sure. Didn't have no, the for sure. For it because they used him as as the starter, which is the whole reason why they're in the situation to begin with. But How, like the, the so the 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 interesting kind of I mean we could really debate this all, all day because this is how these regional and I think you'd agree with me is there's certain like archetypes of regional, especially once you get to the back end of a regional. There are certain archetype of games, and a very common one is regional final or especially a game seven regional final on a Monday underdog team has nothing left they throw a flyer out there whether it's bringing a guy back or a guy who hasn't pitched since april or whatever and the host team puts up seven runs in two innings and the game ends seven to four because because they found the pitching eventually maybe they got to their better guys or whatever um but they tried a gambit to start the game and took a flyer and it just didn't work and so like, you never, you're never going to know that, but that is a pretty, I feel like a pretty common way these games can go. And so I like that. Look, Stivers is the one guy who now they've got other guys, Levi Wells, and they tried Levi Wells to close this game. We saw it, that that did not, that did not work out. Um, but Stivers is the guy on their staff that has the stuff over some period of time to shut down Stanford. And obviously it worked for a long, long time. Um, you know, right up in, until they, they moved off of that. And I'm not saying they should have kept him in there. He threw a lot of pitches, but you know, it was working, it worked. Um, but you just, you feel for them because they, they, they stared down Stanford and that offense on a Monday regional final um, held them down and then just, and just couldn't hold it. And that's, that's tough. And obviously you would have felt if you're Texas state, this is not 
no disrespect to UConn, but if you're Texas State, you feel pretty, I mean, you just beat Stanford in Stanford. Like you feel like you at least have a puncher's chance against UConn in a super. Um, UConn, by the way, also would have felt that way. Um, so, you know, mis- real missed opportunity there. And that's the way regionals work. I mean, history is littered with situations like that where, you know, you win a regional and your path to Omaha is actually easier through supers than it was through regionals. And um, that's just the way it goes. But credit to Stanford because they've lost, you know, they've lost home regionals before. You know, they lost a couple to Fullerton there uh, several years ago. Um, but, you know, they, they come through and, and had to fight for it. Absolutely. And um, just continue to be impressed by, uh, by that Stanford offense. You can't not be. Uh, let's move on, though. Let's go to Corvallis. Oregon State was the number three seed. And uh, boy, they made this hard. But Oregon State advances. Uh, Oregon State got pushed harder by a four seed than any other team. Uh, and they had, I don't know, the second or third worst four seed in the field uh, in New Mexico State. Uh, but New Mexico State took them to extra innings on Friday. Uh, Oregon State did, did manage to win that game and then won the winner's bracket game to face Vanderbilt in the finals. Vanderbilt forced a, a game seven uh, and was very feisty in that game seven, but Oregon State was able to come out on top. I don't know. Oregon State just the last month, it hasn't been the same for them. I don't have a great feel for exactly what's happened, uh, but they are living far more on the edge than they did in the early to middle part of, of the season. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, this was, this was real shaky. And, and you, you talk about, this was an example where Friday's games really, really didn't matter. I mean, they mattered, of course, but you know, the results, we could not read much into them because New Mexico state goes out, you know, Saturday early and, and gets just whomped by Vanderbilt and is gone, which you saw that coming because New Mexico state put all their eggs in winning that first game and you get and the why. mental exhaustion of losing. Like oh, yes. they, they came yeah. back to tie the game in the ninth and, and then they lose an extra innings I, just to get back up. I don't know, 12 hours later to play again like that. That's hard. Yeah. And you see that pretty commonly. I feel like, you know, four seed gives a good punch on Friday and then just has nothing for Saturday. Um, and then, of course, San Diego, like with Bryson Moss, just shuts down Vanderbilt. And then, you know, San Diego and, and New Mexico State didn't have much left after that, after that, um, after that opening day, because San Diego got outscored, by the way, I'm doing the math here, 26 to seven in losses to Oregon State and Vanderbilt the next two days. So. Um, the rest of the series, the rest of the regional did not go well for them there, but yeah, I mean, we knew like Vanderbilt did exactly in this regional. I felt like did exactly what we could have predicted they would do based on how up and down their season has been right. They are like pretty unimpressive to start in, in losing to San Diego, but they in look fairness, pretty, Bryson bots is, is a he is very good. He is very good. Yes. But then they, they handle their business against you know, New Mexico state and, and San Diego. And then they, they just put it on Oregon state in the first regional final game. And you're like, okay, here we go. And then they just can't quite close it. You know, Oregon state just does enough um, on Monday. And so um, that was, that was very much like Vanderbilt season in a microcosm and, you know, Oregon state moving on by the, the skin of their teeth and don't look now, but like <laughs> they're, they're the team they are matched up with now is, is, you know, uh, playing really, really hot and is probably one of the more uniquely difficult matchups for what is, what is ailing Oregon state at this point. Yeah. He's talking about Auburn and I mean, we'll obviously get into this on Thursday, but like, yeah, I don't, I don't love the matchup for Auburn either, but 
like that's just because I'm still thinking about Oregon State in like late April and early May. I the way Oregon State's played now, Auburn may present a whole bunch of problems for them. Uh, but we'll see. We'll uh, we'll get into that as things go. And my final thought on Corvallis is just like seeing what Vanderbilt did. Like that was kind of what we were always waiting for them to do in a way. They just didn't quite have it in them to beat Mots, and that put. You lose the first game. It's a real. It, it makes everything harder. We know this, uh, and ultimately, that that's what that was the undoing of Oregon State. Uh, okay, let's go to Blacksburg, uh, number four seed Virginia Tech. Joe, this is where you were, and uh, Virginia Tech did not uh, did not sweat this one too hard. Um, Gonzaga very disappointing. Never the the two seed here. Virginia Tech never had to play them. Uh, instead, it was Columbia that, that was the uh, the foil for the Hokies. Yeah, I mean, the Hokies get pushed a little by Wright State in the opener. Um, Wright State doing the thing that Wright State does in, in regionals. But they were never, at least for me, like I'm sure in the dugout, it was um, a very different experience. But from where I was sitting, I never felt like they were in trouble against Wright State because they were always going to score. Um. But yeah, the disappointing part of the regional was just from a competition standpoint is you never got to see uh, Gonzaga. Well, you didn't get to see Gonzaga against Virginia Tech at all, but you certainly, even if they had come back Gonzaga to get to a regional final, we wouldn't have seen the best arms against Virginia Tech. And then part of that is because their best arms didn't pitch well. Columbia got to Hughes, Gabriel Hughes in the first game of the regional. And um, even though they won it, uh, Wright State got to William Kempner in the second game and then they came back with Vreeling against Columbia and, you know, Vreeling didn't really have much for Columbia. And so just, yeah, disappointing weekend for Gonzaga. Um, that's obviously a, just quickly on them, like a, a little postmortem. I mean, that's a, a team that, you know, this was really their shot to kind of make that kind of noise because, you know, the, they're losing guys to the draft. They've got some, some veterans in the lineup that are, that are moving on. Um, so they're going to have a little bit of rebuilding to do, I believe, ahead of, of next year. So it's disappointing that they didn't they, – they really played their worst weekend of the season this weekend. But with Virginia Tech, um, they swung the bats exactly as well as we thought they were going to. You know, and, and sure, I guess we can talk about, okay, if, if, if they didn't have to face Gonzaga, how good was the pitching they saw? And, hey, I hear you. Like, I get it. Um, you know, Columbia played pretty well, but it was mostly offense that Columbia was doing that was – because – a Columbia team can hit a fastball <laughs> like they're just on time on every fastball that was over the plate. So kudos to them. But Virginia Tech's offense was just too overwhelming for everybody in this regional. And, and I suspect, um, you know, if they if they beat Oklahoma this weekend, that's where it's going to come from, because, you know, Virginia Tech, you know, I mean, Drew Hackenberg was was not particularly good in the opener against Wright State. Uh, there's some concern about where he's at right now because the the, the, the tail end of this season was not particularly good for him. Griffin green is, you know, is what he is. They're really piecing it together in the bullpen. There's a lot of teams that are doing that right now. They've got a lot of choices. They've got a lot of options. They're similar to like an LSU in that regard. They've got a lot of options, but when it, when it gets sideways, it really gets sideways on them. We saw that against Wright state and they were able to survive it, you know, against a team like Oklahoma. Um, it'll be a little bit of a different story, but yeah, they, you know, especially once they got past the, the difficult part against Wright state, this wasn't, this wasn't anything too challenging for the Hokies. Disappointing for Gonzaga uh, as an end to the season. Still a spectacular year, but this is now two years in a row where you know they look amazing for 
the the first four months of the year, whatever, and then get tripped up at the end. Um, I probably doesn't say anything much of anything, but that that's uh, it, it's just been a tough couple postseasons here uh, for the Bulldogs. Um, but does not take away from what they've accomplished over the last two seasons. Number five, Texas A&M and College Station. Uh, they, I, the final scores indicate that they didn't get pushed. They got pushed, but they still sweep. Um, Oral Roberts was not an issue on Friday. Then the Cajuns were game uh, in the winner's bracket, but A&M pulls out a 9-6 to six win. And then in the regional final, TCU was absolutely game. Uh, but was not like just it looked like they kind of just ran out of gas in the ninth inning and AM was was ready to take advantage of that. Uh, but we did get the we did get the TCU AM game that we wanted. We got the Schlossnagel Sarlus game that we wanted. Uh, I didn't get the extra innings game that I wanted uh, for for uh, you know all of my friends that, that were covering that game. I just feel like you should get the full TCU AM experience and extra innings is a part of that. Uh, but they, uh, th- this was a fun one, it, despite the fact that that AM swept through it. it you know, we, we, there were so many other regionals that that went to Game Sevens that you know, the, those were probably the ones that we would think back as like being the the exciting regionals. But this one was uh, it was pretty fun. Yeah, I thought so too. Like, so my my general process for this weekend is obviously I'm watching what's in front of me. But then on my phone, I would have something up and I'd put my headphones on and, and be watching something else. And typically I would have it on the, uh, you know, uh, the squeeze play on ESPN plus shout out to, uh, you know, Schick and, and Chris Budden and Mike Rooney and Chris Burke. They did a great job this weekend and, and what's always a taxing uh, event for them. Um, and then when something particularly caught my fancy, I would just flip over to that game. Uh, you know, once we'd get to like a, a a ninth inning or whatever, because, you know, squeeze play was doing a lot of quad boxes and stuff, which is great. But like, if you were looking to really, especially since I'm watching it's not great on a phone, phone. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you go from a phone size screen to a quad box on a phone. Like there was a lot of Joe leaning over to try to read scoreboards on, uh, on quad boxes. Um, so, you know, I, I go to a specific game anyway, moral of the story. These games always intrigue me to the point where I'd start to go to a different game or start to like actually watch that specific game. And then as I was doing so, I realized like, oh, this game has, you know, kind of gotten out of hand or like it's not as interesting as it was anymore. It was always A&M just kind of taking control. Um, And so kudos to them because, you know, this was a team that I think a lot of people looked at as especially once you saw TCU, you know, the Cajuns present like a different, unique challenge as a team so i think once people saw the draw thought like okay this this actually could be kind of dicey for an a&m team that i think people are still kind of unsure about um but they really handled it i mean yes they got pushed for sure 100 but considering it was a tough draw like i was impressed with the way they handled it yeah there's a lot to be said for that um and uh you know i i also was pretty impressed with tcu for fighting through the losers bracket to get back to the final um you know once they lost that opener to uh uh, to the Cajuns that obviously that makes everything very difficult for them. And, you know, I just wasn't sure that clearly wasn't the deepest team on the mound for any number of reasons this year. Uh, but they did a good job to, uh, to get to Sunday night. All right. Coral Gables, uh, number six seed Miami hosted. Uh, it also hosted a, uh, I don't actually know if this made it to tropical storm or tropical depression. I, 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 I lost interest in whether the storm is going to get named or not officially, but anyway, there was a lot of rain there. Uh, they got delayed significantly. Uh, they're behind a day fully. 
but ultimately they were able to play and uh, it is Ole Miss that comes out of this one. Miami goes a very disappointing one and two. They beat Canisius. Um, Canisius, frankly, played better than I would have expected against Miami, though. And then Miami lost a pair of one 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 run games to Ole Miss and Arizona. Two teams that you don't really associate playing low scoring one run games with, but Miami uh, Miami did against them and they lost. Ole Miss uh, won that winner's bracket game two to one. I mean, who saw that coming, first of all? And then they uh, rather predictably beat Arizona 22 to six. Uh, in the final, Arizona was out of pitching at that point, and Ole Miss was very happy to take advantage. Yeah, really up until the last you know few innings of, of that game, like when you consider that basically every team in this field had concerns about what they were going to be able to do on the mound. Big picture concerns. Now I know Ole Miss has been a lot better lately, but I'm just saying like, if you look at the entirety of the season and also the weather situation, like this regional was, and also that because of the weather, by the way, they were condensing. So they played like three games on Saturday. Like they were, they were trying to get back on schedule throughout the weekend and they did a good job. These games were played so much better than they had any business to be played. (laughs) Like, you know, the scores here and on a weekend where you've got, yes, the Ole Miss put up 22 runs in the final. Okay. But, you know, we've got in regionals all over the place, like 20 run games, like just left and right. And here you've got four to three, two to one, seven to four, seven to five, like really well-played regional, fairly well-pitched. Um, you know, like maybe the damp conditions like are part of that. I don't know. I wasn't there, but, um, you know, considering, the situation like i came away kind of like impressed by like great great job guys like collectively you you showed well this this regional did not become like a complete mess because of rain and long you know interminably long games with huge final scores like i you know that that, that just looked like a nice normal well-played regional indeed indeed and uh you know we now have uh the the trope i guess of a last four in team making it to super regionals uh in Ole Miss um they're gonna I'm sure feel like I mean they're they're two wins away from Omaha they're they're going to feel like they have a very real chance uh this weekend against Southern Miss uh in Hattiesburg and uh you know the the way that they pitched this weekend I mean it, it was it was very impressive that Miami team can hit and Ole Miss held them to to one run in in the biggest game of of the season to that point and uh, so I, I think you got to be impressed with the way Ole Miss handled this. Uh, they they'd had an extended layoff since that uh, SEC tournament loss and uh, did not seem to affect them one bit. Already, moving on. Number seven uh, overall seed was Oklahoma State. They hosted in Stillwater, and uh, <laughs> you want you want crazy regional. That's uh, that's what Stillwater delivered. Um, Joe, I don't even know how to begin to summarize this. Uh, Arkansas wins ultimately. They they take out Oklahoma State in the in the final. It was not easy for anyone. Um, there was offense all over the place. There were comebacks all over the place. Oklahoma State uh, in an elimination game on uh, on Sunday was at one point down. 12 to nothing against Missouri state and comes back to win 29 to 15. 
that was on the heels of Arkansas coming back to win 20 to 12 in the winner's bracket game the night before and Oklahoma State blowing a, a lead to allow that to happen uh, in an excruciating fashion. Oklahoma State wins the first final game in extra innings. And then Arkansas won a much more normal um, Monday game. That was a little disappointing. That was only seven to three, not as much drama, uh, but they they brought plenty of craziness on Saturday and Sunday here. No kidding. I mean, this there are, there are just layers on <laughs> at this regional when you when you take into consider. For example, the first game of the day on Saturday. Missouri State is down seven to one to Grand Canyon in the eighth inning or seventh or something and comes back to win that game. And it is not even on the board for like the most like interesting game or thing to happen here. Um, Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's like on the ropes and I tweeted about it like that is also a thing that happens like team takes a tough loss Saturday night, um, which Oklahoma State did where Arkansas just blitzed them late after what was already a, a what was a tight game throughout. And then they come out flat on Sunday and that's kind of all she wrote because of the emotional swing there and, and Oklahoma state storms back and they play a five hour game. And then you get extra innings. Like, I mean, this, this regional absolutely delivered in terms of drama, even if it fell short in terms of being a thing of beauty, I would say, I think it, this was a regional that just preyed so much on um, preyed so much on the weaknesses of the teams that were involved in it, where, you know, neither Oklahoma State or Arkansas really felt great about what they were doing on the mound, and they were just like scrounging around for answers throughout. Um, Arkansas ended up finding, you know, just basically the difference is Arkansas found one or two more answers, right? I mean, like Zach Morris pitched pretty well on Monday to get them started, gave them like three and a third, and they found, you know, a couple of scoreless innings on the back end, and that was that was really the difference there, um, you know, and and that's kind of what we see on on Monday regionals and. This I this I felt like yes, our Oklahoma State was at home, but this is precisely the type of regional that Arkansas can win is when you get into kind of these like sloppy high scoring games you're fighting through, and so I'm I'm not surprised to see this result here, even if you're always a little surprised when the when the host goes down. Yeah, not not only the host, but a, a top eight seed, even if it was one that we had been I don't know questioning much of the season, but. Uh, just uh, this one was crazy. I don't, like I said, I, I I don't even know how to begin to say anything about it. So I'm not going to try to continue. I I, I think that was a that was a pretty good summary from you, Joe. And I am just going to continue to wonder what is happening in Stillwater and move on. <laughs> um, let's go to uh, to Greenville, East Carolina was the number eight overall seed, and East Carolina comes out with a uh, a regional win. They knock off Coastal in the championship um championship game there they i don't want to say you see like walk through this by any means like coastal did force a, a second uh championship game and, and virginia gave ecu a really good go in the winner's bracket game on saturday they got the the tying run to the plate or on base uh late in that game but but weren't able to cash it in and uh but at the same time, ECU just felt like they were in control much of the weekend. I think that's right. I mean, it, obviously, any regional that goes to a Monday by definition is they got pushed a little bit. I think it's, I think you can compartmentalize a little bit that like Coastal found a pitcher. Like Nick Parker 
threw the ball. Maybe the, I haven't looked at the box scores across the entire regional, but perhaps the best start anyone turned in the entire weekend. And he happened to do it in the first regional final. And if you're East Carolina, you're just like, okay, set that aside. Um, but they controlled Monday from really from the jump and they scored a bunch of runs late that made the, the, the final score look a little uglier than it, than it really was, but they controlled it from start to finish. And again, we talk about Arkansas winning a kind of regional that it could win. I mean, they, East Carolina really did a good job with, with doing what they do on the mound. So when you get to Monday and everyone's kind of scrounging around for answers, like that's the way East Carolina likes to play. Like they're comfortable with that. And I think you saw that on Monday where, you know, coastal brought back up a starter in Reed Van Scooter who had thrown on Friday and not that they were out there trying to get six innings out of him, but they just tried that and it didn't work. And meanwhile, you know, ECU started with a reliever in Carter Spivey. Um, and that ended up really being the difference because ECU got to Van Scooter early and coastal got off to a slower start. And that really kind of allowed ECU to set the pace, if you will. So, yeah, I thought they handled it well Th- this weekend should be crazy in Greenville. That's the other thing about Greenville that stands out to me is beyond the games because the game, you know, I, I don't know this, this was a regional that I would, didn't find myself except for the ECU Virginia game, I guess, Saturday night, I didn't find myself overly drawn in. However, the, the atmosphere looked absolutely nuts. I don't know how they're actually allowed. I know we've talked about this before. I don't know. And I love it. So I'm not complaining about it, but I don't, I don't know how they're allowed to let people hang over the wall in the outfield in Greenville. It seems like having fans putting their arms over the fence into the field of play, like is technically not allowed. I guess they just can't really enforce that. Um, but that is kind of one of my takeaways. <laughs> it's like every time I watched Greenville, there were people hanging over the wall and like, it's great. It makes for a fantastic atmosphere. I like it. I'm just not really sure how they're allowed. Yeah, I, I guess there probably isn't a specific rule as long as you're not interfering with the play. But right. uh, like, yeah, I mean, the they're right. Hit, you have to get off the wall. <laughs> right, right. They are right there, you know, uh, yeah, and they true. are loud. That, that's absolutely true. Nick Lucky and Bryson Worrell put on shows in this regional. Um, Nick Lucky had one of the most insane bat flips like you'll ever see. He hit a home run on Monday and a um, friend of the pod, Nick De La Torre, uh, described it as like when you're just mad at how hard you hit the ball like or like bored at how hard you hit the ball. I don't now which, which which nick said but he uh he just looked so so disappointed that he'd hit this home run as hard as he hit it um but those two guys were were incredible uh some some great performances around the country bryson Worrell, fifth year guy just continues to to be a huge huge piece of this uh this ecu success story uh, and this this one will be a great fun this weekend with uh with texas coming there and we'll get to the horns here in a second uh but first check this out we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Uh, welcome back. Let's, uh, let's keep this rolling. And we are going to Austin. Uh, Texas was the number nine overall seed. And Joe, I feel like if anyone cruised this weekend, it was, it was Texas. Um, They, we talked coming into the the weekend about how they had a tricky four in air force and maybe the best, the best pitcher that a four seed would throw in Paul Skeens. Uh, Well, they dealt with that all right on Friday. They beat Louisiana tech uh, on Saturday in the winner's bracket. And then air force was the only number four seed to make it to a regional final. And Texas took care of them on Sunday. This was uh this is pretty clean for the horns. Yeah, no doubt. I don't think we have to really belabor this one too much. They gave up six runs in three games. They scored plenty both times against air force. Um, just a really pretty comprehensive effort. And, you know, you could nitpick that. Okay, sure. They ended up with a, a four seed in a regional final, but if there's one thing air force can do, it's, it's put some runs on the board, which, you know, Texas learned firsthand when they played them in the midweek earlier this season. And, and Texas really just never let the Falcons in that game. So if you're, you know, if you're someone, as, as we've talked about before, that is kind of thinking that maybe Texas is rounding into something close to the form we thought they were going to have to come into the season, um, I think this was a, a step in that direction for uh, the Longhorns. Disappointing weekend for DBU, uh, which goes 0-2 and um, isn't going to do anything for anyone that uh, felt like they didn't belong over other bubble teams. Obviously, I, I should say obviously, I feel <laughs> like, you know, what happens in in the tournament doesn't matter. Like that's not what the the committee's that doesn't validate or invalidate committee decisions. Uh, You know, DBU still had the resume they had. They still, to my feeling, like it would have been hard to look at DBU and say, you know, you went six and three against regional hosts. Sorry, that wasn't good enough. Um, But it it did not make a whole lot of people happy that were fans of NT state Rutgers, Wofford, whoever. It is even, you know, even with, I mean, deep, deep, that's just kind of the team DBU has been the second half of the year. I mean, they really struggle in Valley play, but you kind of thought that there'd just be enough DNA in this program to play better in regionals because they almost always do, you know, that since joining the Missouri Valley, they've made it to a regional final in regionals every time they've been to regionals except once, at least a regional final. Obviously, sometimes they've been to supers, but they've made at least a regional final all but once leading up to this season. This is only the second time since joining the Valley that that's happened. So you kind of expect them to play well on those kind of stages, and this year they just just flatly didn't. 
All right, let's uh, go to Chapel Hill. North Carolina was the number 10 overall seed, and uh, North Carolina wins this regional, but not without a whole lot of drama. Um, and really, the drama started in the winner's bracket game on Saturday night against VCU. A couple of controversial calls went against UNC. One of them was an interference call sliding into second base, whatever. The, those calls are hard. Uh, the second call was an infield fly non-call, despite the fact that it could have been invoked. Runners were on first and second, uh, less than two outs, and the ball fell in right behind the pitcher's mound uh, and, in fact, hit the second baseman's glove. A lot of debate about whether that was the right call or the wrong call. What I do know is that the umpiring crew basically refused to say anything at all. And, uh, you know, in terms of public statements after the fact, there, there is a statement. It indicates absolutely nothing. Um, the uh, that call led Scott Forbes to get ejected from the game because he still wasn't getting much of an explanation from the umpires. I guess Scott Forbes really went off, not in a like crazy manager ejection kind of way, just in a like I demand answers kind of way, and ultimately ends up getting suspended for two games for not leaving the field fast enough after being ejected. Um, VCU goes on to win that game four to three and VCU had should have been a great story coming out of Saturday night. Like it was really unfortunate that VCU's second regional final in like six years was overshadowed by all of this, but it was, it was, uh, it was not a great look for the umpires. Uh, it wasn't a great look for UNC either. Frankly, I didn't feel like as, uh, collectively, uh, I, I feel like the Tar Heels kind of lost their mind over the over like a 24 hour period there. Um, their AD Bubba Cunningham like was very vocal on Twitter for a while. It, it was it was a whole scene. Uh, but UNC gets really resilient on Sunday. They uh, they go out and beat Georgia. That game was very close at the end. Georgia gave them a good run. Uh, and then North Carolina comes back and beats VCU twice, uh, really took care of business. And they will uh, they will now host a super regional because they they are paired with the Stillwater regional and, of course, Oklahoma State loss. So uh, wild weekend, but ultimately a very successful weekend for the Tar Heels. Yeah, they they got it done. I, you know, I, it was just not a good we We didn't mention this in the Greenville regional because why, why would we have? It was ultimately not a big deal in terms of results, but. Yeah, a couple things umpiring wise that are just bothersome. Like in the ECU game, you know, Perry Costello pushes Bryson Worrell down the line to get him to run instead of looking at his home run. Just we can't be touching players. I mean, because if the roles are reversed, like a player or a coach is going to be suspended for that. I get that it's an umpire's job to kind of keep control of the game, but no one was bothered there. Like this is the same game where you mentioned correctly, like Nick Lucky really looked at a home run extra long and everyone was fine. Well, I think so. In fairness to Perry Costello, and I can't believe I'm even trying to be fair to Perry Costello, like Nick Lucky hit the home run first, and then Bryson Worrell was staring at his home run, like uh, going up the first baseline, and Coastal's dugout was on the first baseline. But there is no defense for pushing a player. Like, there's also very little defense for yelling at a player to run, but I like that happens literally every NCAA tournament, and it's awful every time. But (laughs) I can never remember pushing the player to get him to move. Uh, that is, that was so over the top. I hope we don't see Perry Costello again in the NCAA tournament. I fear, however, that we will. 
I'm reminded of last year, speaking of DBU, like Andrew Benefield hit a big home run last year and the umpire did like a, like a, a big motion, like run up the line, you know, like this arm. I remember that. Like, yeah, it happened so- uh, in Starkville super regional in 2019, Elijah McNamee hit a home run <laughs> as they were see as Mississippi state was seeing off Stanford in um, game two of the, the clinch, like the clinching game. And in that Mac hit a massive home run against Stanford's dugouts on the first baseline. He's just kind of staring at it and, that was a whole thing. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I, I don't think I realized just quickly on, on the UNC situation. Like I, I guess I hadn't really internalized the idea that I think I slacked you this. Like, I don't know how I thought suspensions happened and I know there's some oversight, like they can be appealed and reviewed and yada, yada, yada. But like, I, it, it had never really clicked with me that umpires are just levying suspensions on the field in the heat of the moment. Like I remember, in Knoxville, the Tony Vitello bump incident that people remember from the season, you know, Jeff Macias, the, the home plate umpire in that game, Vitello bumps him and Jeff Macias, you can see very clearly on the replay says that's a suspension. That's a suspension. And I just thought like he was saying like, Hey, you're going to be suspended, like watch it or, you know, or was just like taunting him in a way like, you know, you know, you know what you just did. That's a suspension. No, but no, that was him telling him like, I am, I am levying a suspension. And I don't think I'd really realized that was the process. And that seems bad. Like, I don't know. I don't well, know so I, I think, it. I think the argument for that would be that, you know, in, in that case, like that's a pretty technical, like you touched me. That is a suspension like that. That's how that goes down. But I, I could see how you could argue that in a, in a case of a Sarlus or a Forbes ejection where they're then being suspended because they aren't, leaving the field fast enough that if you empower the umpire to say i am suspending you like this is what's happening now like you are giving them another tool to end the argument to get the coach off the field because if you say like all right we're suspending you two games right now uh then the coach presumably is not going to want to risk a four game suspension so like that that should end the argument I, i think would be how how i would interpret like why umpires are allowed to do that yeah i mean that, that's fair. that makes sense to me logically so that that is a good good bit of insight there i i i also just to just to show that i'll be critical on both sides like to that point i also one of my greatest aggravations especially this time of year because everyone is it, all, every play is big right in the postseason so it's just that like the amount of time coaches spend on the field like you know you you look in these dugouts sometimes and, and the head coaches are like some are like sit or lean on the top step anyway, but like they're basically standing on the field already just like to be in position to go out there and ask for clarifications and ask for replays and ask for this or that or what have you. And like, it, it just, it does get tiresome. So I can see how the umpires would like to have a different tool in their toolbox because there's just so much time and I get that you want to get everything right. And I know why we're doing this, but it doesn't mean it's not tiresome that, so much time is spent with coaches on the field trying to get explanations and trying to talk to people and trying to get stuff sorted out. I'm not going to rail against replay. There was a lot of that this weekend because um, I like the replay. I think we should be getting things right over getting things done fast. Um, but I do understand the frustration and that just adds to it. There's just so much time standing on the field. Are you sure you weren't watching much of the college station regional this weekend? <laughs> was that was that a topic of discussion? <laughs> no, I just, Jim Schlossnagel is like, kind of like uh, can i just uh, can you clarify what's going on here like i'm not arguing just like what 
what, what's 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 the rule in here? Like it happens all the time. We should uh, just give coaches and umpires two way radios. <laughs> just, I, t- just keep a constant conversation going about what they're doing. Works for the catchers. That way we, we just keep keep everybody off the field who is not playing the game. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on to Hattiesburg. Southern Miss was the is the number eleven overall seed. Uh, and Southern Miss comes out on top here. Um, they had to go through the losers bracket to do it. LSU beat them uh, seven to six in the winners bracket game on Saturday night uh, in extra innings. LSU, the first two games of this against Kennesaw State and Southern Miss, they used big late comebacks to uh, to win, and then uh, they they were not quite able to complete a comeback in either regional final, uh, either, either of the regional final games against Southern Miss. Um, and so Southern Miss now uh, goes out and they are in super regionals for the first time since 2009. First time hosting a super regional as well, which is, is big for this program. And it's going to be a, a zoo with Ole, <laughs> Ole Miss coming to town. It should be a, a, another fantastic game. In terms of, you know, Hattiesburg does not need a reason to turn out for Southern Miss. Like they draw really well. You know, it's it's one of those places that historically draws really well. They love their team. So it's not like they'd be hurting for attendance, but my goodness, you talk about back-to-back weekends just hitting the jackpot in terms of, maybe in a literal sense, but hitting the jackpot in terms of getting people to turn out and making these atmospheres awesome, having LSU, having Southern Miss play three games against LSU over the weekend, and then now having Ole Miss come into town, like, my goodness, they couldn't have asked for, for much more there. But um Kudos to, to Southern Miss, like to stare down LSU, because after LSU wins that Saturday regional final, you kind of think like, okay, yes, Southern Miss's thing is pitching depth and this, that, and the other. Like you, you kind of just think, um, okay, the, the jig is up on this. Like this is LSU, which is just, you know, has a lot of fan support there. Like likes to play in big atmospheres you know, their offense is just going to be too much here. They're swinging the bats, starting to swing the bats better, so on and so forth. It felt like you had already kind of started to see that story play out. And Southern Miss just punches back. And like I said, just stared them down. And that's that's huge for, yes, they're playing at home, but, um, you know, that's a, a, a big spot there against an SEC team that has a lot of support in that stadium in its own right. And to, to be able to take them down like that was just so, so impressive to me. Yeah, and uh, LSU got up in uh, one of those regional finals. I think it was the Monday game. They they took an early lead, and and Southern Miss was able to fight back and and fight them off. And uh, I, I just feel like so often times you 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 see the uh, smaller conference team get to host, but but they have this SEC or ACC power, and then they lose on Saturday night, and it, it's just kind of over from there. But uh, yeah, definitely great job by Southern Miss to fight back and. Uh, very exciting super regional against Ole Miss ahead. I think a few people in that state might be might be interested. Uh, quick note on that: they already announced game times. They gave that three o'clock local uh, both in each of the first two days. I still think that uh, some fans will uh, will have plenty of time for pre gaming uh, going into that one. That, that, that the Pete will be absolutely rocking. Um, for however many games they play, whether that's two or three there uh, against Ole Miss this weekend. Make sure you make, if you're going to those games, make sure you're hydrating. Like it's going to be hot. Like, like, yes, have a like pregame the heck out of it. Um, make sure you're hydrating though. Going to be super hot. Not a lot of shade at Pete Taylor park. 
you know, make sure you are, you're hydrating and staying on top of that. And then after it's over, like post game, the heck out of it, like three o'clock starts are great. I think like, yes, go get some dinner, <laughs> go get some dinner too. You know, like, you know, but, but three o'clock starts are great for that. You know, you pre that's, that's still a good amount of time to pregame pregame with as early as like the real fans start that stuff. That's still a good amount of time to pregame after it's over. You can go get dinner. You can post game it. You could, you could cook dinner out on the grill. Like, I don't know what the parking Teddy, you've been there. I've not been there. I don't know what the parking lot situation is like, but maybe you can post game and cook something up in a tailgate situation afterwards. You can post game in the roost. You absolutely could. Yes. I mean, there's, you know, just, uh, I I think three o'clock starts are kind of perfect for that. You know, seven o'clock start, you're kind of burned out by the time the game's over, but you know, you can really keep this thing going afterwards, um, with a three o'clock start. So, um, but yes, just make sure you're hydrating. That's my advice there. And sunblock. Always good advice. And Relevant advice to where we're going next. That's Louisville. Dan McDonald, big, big on, um, I was going to say skincare, but that makes it sound like he's really into moisturizing. And I don't know that what he is really into is uh, sun protection. That's right. Um, All right. Louisville, number 12 overall seed. They go out and uh, they win this, this regional. It was not easy for them. Michigan won the winner's bracket game on Saturday, seven to three stunningly was able to contain the Louisville offense. I would say like, I, I think that's fair to say stunningly they beat Jared Poland and contained the Louisville offense. Um, I'm not surprised that Michigan beat Louisville once. I'm just surprised that it was seven to three and not 17 to 13. Uh, but no matter Louisville fights through the, uh, the losers bracket, they beat Oregon on Sunday morning and then they uh, sweep two games against Michigan this was not without controversy either, though. However, as Michigan was leading this, the second regional final, the Monday one in the eighth inning and Louisville's rallying. Louisville gets a, a double uh, that was looked at on replay. And if you look on the replay, it sure looks like the Michigan infielder tags the Louisville runner just before he gets on the base. Um, umpires did not see it that way. Again, this was replay reviewed. They did not see it that way. He is called safe. Louisville goes back, goes out, completes the rally, goes on to win 11 to nine to win the regional brutal stretch for Michigan. Good on Louisville for still getting the hits. You know, you still do have to hit the ball. Uh, even if you get a mulligan or, or, or get a gift or whatever, but, um, really feel uh for for michigan and with that call in that situation but you know at the same time like they uh they were not losing the game at at that or the game was not over at that point like they uh they they just weren't able to uh to recover from it yeah and even on a micro level so i didn't i'm glad you detailed the replay there because i knew there was a controversy i did not and i i I didn't spend hours seeking out because i'm sure on twitter somebody has supplied all kinds of like Zapruder film versions of, of the tag play in question, but I, I had not well, seen it. Zapruder so is right here. Like it really is. If you're looking at it just initially on a replay, it it's really hard to tell, but there's a way like they can blow up. You know, we've all seen this on the replay. They blow up the base. Like they, they get the magnifying glass out or whatever. And when that happens, you can see the, like the, the, the way the, the slide is happening, that the hand is going in towards second base the tag is coming down and you can see the player's fingers go up at the time when he contacts the glove, which to me sure seems like a tag. Um, But 
Like that, that's the level of granular we're talking about in saying that Michigan was hard done here. Otherwise, it looks like a bang bang play. You know, who knows? So on a on a micro level too, I mean, later in that inning, you know, you've got Cameron Weston on the mound against Cameron Masterman with the game tied. He thinks he's got Masterman rung up on a called third strike. Um, at least this podcast host thinks he had him rung up on a called third strike. Now, I'd not watch the whole game. I don't know what the zone was like all game. I don't have that context. However, did look like a called strike three, was not ruled strike three. Masterman hits literally the next pitch to the moon, and you know that gives Louisville the winning margin. So just a, a really tough span of a few minutes there for, for Michigan goes from leading the game and, and likely out of it to um, being behind and, and not being able to catch back up. Louisville now headed to College Station. Uh, that'll be uh, that'll be a good super regional matchup. All right, let's go to Gainesville. Florida was the number thirteen overall seed. They do not get out of the Gainesville regional for the second year in a row. However, uh, it was Oklahoma that wins this regional. Um, this was a wild regional in, in its own right. Um, differently wild than Stillwater, but like almost almost as insane, frankly. Uh, so. Oklahoma won the uh, the winner's bracket game, beat Florida in that, um, dropping Florida down into the loser's bracket. Florida got some incredible performances to get out of the loser's bracket and back into the championship game and, and force a championship on Monday. Uh, they held off Central Michigan uh, with a late rally uh, on, on Sunday morning and on Sunday evening. Karsten Finvold comes out of the bullpen with the bases loaded in the first inning and nobody out and throws nine innings and gets Florida to a rematch with Oklahoma. It was a sensational performance. He started it with five hitless innings. Um, just absolutely remarkable stuff. He, I think he'd thrown nine innings all season before that. It was, it, it, it was insane. Uh, and then, you know, Florida is, is still, uh, you know, they, they still have the, the second regional final to play. And Florida gets a, gets going really well in that game. They have a lead uh, when the rain comes. Um, totally different game after the rain, ultimately, uh, as Oklahoma is able to reverse that score and go on to win uh, five to four. Uh, but uh, very, very compelling regional there in Gainesville. Yeah, the, the Finvold game might get lost to time in history just because Florida didn't win that regional. But I think that is going to be something I'll remember for a while. I mean, it's obviously just that looking at the, the that the importance of that spot and what he did. Yes, but like even within that game, I, I was actually I happened to be watching Squeeze play at the time, and they were talking. You know, you know Chris Burke and I think Matt Schick and and, and Rooney were on at the time, and there was a point there in that outing, I think maybe in the third or fourth inning where. And the conversation was kind of like, well, you know, this is this has been effective because they're slowing Oklahoma's bats down. Like Finvold, obviously, is not throwing hard. Most of the rest of Florida staff does. That's why it's been effective. But you don't want to overexpose him. And there was a point where you know Oklahoma scores a couple runs. I think there was like a it was a Blake Robertson double or something like that. And one of them said, and I don't remember who it is. I'm not playing coy or protecting them because like you know they <laughs> they don't need it first of all. But like one of them in the in, in the studio said like ah, it feels like one batter too late you know, before they made a move here. And I'm sure in the dugout, there was some talk about like, do, do we, do we yank him here? Do we leave him? They leave him and obviously it paid off handsomely. So it just is a great example of how just these little 
micro decisions, most of which we are not privy to as, as viewers, um, end up having large bearing. Cause who knows, you know, maybe Florida goes to the bullpen there with Ben Bolden thinks they probably made a smart move, right. Getting him out of there before things got really bad and they end up losing that game. And, you know, um, we, we don't get that performance, but you know, even before that for Florida, you know, they, they had to stop central Michigan from scoring run with the bases loaded in the ninth inning, you know, down, down a run the day before. So, or earlier in that same day, I should say. So impressive run, but ultimately Oklahoma just kind of like they have this whole postseason, just found a big hit at the right time, you know, Peyton Graham two run Homer tied it. And then they, they went up. Um, and it's, it's going to be a really fascinating super regional in Blacksburg this weekend, because I think both those teams are playing really well and, and we'll obviously have time to, to, preview it but i think that is one of the more intriguing supers we have uh what i'm calling the pete hughes bowl so we'll uh definitely get into that one uh, (laughs) on thursday the oklahoma you mentioned Ben graham he was sensational this weekend and i just i mean i'm not surprised oklahoma won this regional i made it pretty clear i thought they should have hosted anyway uh they're playing incredibly well right now but to uh to go out and win uh the way they did uh very impressive uh, just a, a great weekend for the Sooners as they continue to stay hot. All right, let's go to Auburn. Number 14 overall seed, Auburn. Uh, they made this completely academic. Uh, you know, the, it, you could tell that ESPN thought that this was going to be a really compelling regional. I know a lot of people listed this as maybe the most loaded regional, but you can tell ESPN agreed because... Uh, Tom Hart and Kyle Peterson were on the call here, UCLA, Florida State, Auburn, um, you know, an intriguing four in southeastern Louisiana. And uh, all this was was an Auburn Tiger uh, show. They scored uh, roughly a billion runs, uh, actually 51 runs in three games. They swept. They were never pushed. It was it was a, a command performance by a team that a lot of people didn't know what to expect from. They hadn't played since Tuesday uh, of the SEC tournament, and it did not matter. They uh, they they did everything you want, and then some. Yeah, they really. I mean, they took advantage too. I mean, they absolutely earned it. Are you okay there? Did you you got emotional and choked up? Is that what happened there? Yes, I, I was. I was a touch late on the call. <laughs> I, I'm sorry there. It's all right. Yeah. We, we press on, we were fighting through it. Um, they, they, they absolutely earned it. I mean, they, they just smashed the ball all weekend. They also kind of, you know, took advantage and this is what you have to do. Like, this is not a slight on them. They took advantage of a couple teams that came a little bit, I feel like limping in, you know, they, they caught UCLA, you know, they didn't have to play UCLA until the regional final. And this is a UCLA team that has dealt with injuries on the mound and is thinner than they would like to be. And so they caught UCLA at the exact right moment there earlier in the regional. If they catch them in a, the winner's bracket game or what have you, maybe it's, maybe it's a different story. Probably not, but the way Auburn's swinging the bat, but maybe, and they, you know, Florida state's offense, um, you know, is, it just kind of is what it is. And when they didn't pitch well, cause they gave 21 runs to Auburn in, in the winner's bracket game, like that was obviously going to, to doom Florida state. And we saw that when then Florida state in an elimination game um, held UCLA to two runs, but only scored one. And that's problematic. So, Auburn was able to kind of, it felt like even though they didn't have anything to do with the, the results that were independent of them, like it did feel a little bit like they were a little bit of a puppeteer here, just kind of like everything seemed to break just their way in this regional. And on top of it, they played, played really, really well. So um, I have to admit, like, I thought this was, 
I saw the, the flaws in Florida State and UCLA. Those are two programs that I think you and I would agree were just like very meh at the end of the year. Um, so I was a little less enthused by the draw, but I did think, okay, these teams are talented enough. If Auburn's not ready to play, this could get interesting, but clearly the Tigers were very much ready to play. I don't think we spent enough time talking about how good and consistent Auburn has been uh, under Butch Thompson. Three super regionals in four full seasons. Um, Chris Burke made the point that like I hadn't thought of before. Uh, he made it on squeeze play. The last three times Auburn's been in the NCAA tournament, they've won a regional. Uh, I mean, that's that's crazy impressive. Uh, they're now trying to, for the second straight time that they made the tournament, go to Omaha. They're two wins away from that. This is an Auburn team that was picked to finish last in the SEC West in, by the, the SEC coaches in their preseason poll. Last place. That's what they were picked to do. And uh, they hosted a home regional for the first time since 2010. They're back in super regionals and uh, they're, they're just playing outstanding baseball right now. I mean, I, I, I know I talk about how great Butch Thompson is a lot, but I uh, just incredible job this year. All right. Number 15 seed Maryland hosted the college park regional. That's where I was this weekend. Um, and UConn though, UConn, the number three seed, comes out they win the regional that that's uh this is the first super regional trip for UConn since 2011 and the clincher came 11 years to the day after they clinched the 2011 uh regional uh it also Jim Penders pointed out 12 years to the day after they were eliminated in their home regional in 2010 in Norwich so uh, June 6 is a busy day in UConn program history, uh, and it, it has some pluses and, and some minuses. And uh, Jim Penders said he uh, was th thinking more probably about the, the the time that they lost that that home regional than the time that they won the, the regional yesterday. But they uh, they come out, they win this regional against Maryland. Um, they, UConn played very well throughout the weekend. They beat Wake Forest in, mm. uh, in their opener. Then they win the winner's bracket against Maryland. Uh, they survive Maryland in the finals. The, the Terps uh, played really well on Sunday night to in an extra innings game, forcing a winner-take-all. UConn gets up big in, uh, in, in Monday's game. They get up 9-1 to one, uh, early. Maryland fights back. Um, and at one point it looked like uh, Maryland had all the momentum late in the game in the eighth inning. It looked like they had cut the deficit to one run. Um, a runner's interference call, however, negated that. And from there, uh, UConn, Justin Willis, uh, their, their excellent closer, absolutely slammed the door. There was no more. Uh, no, no more comeback hope for, for Maryland uh, there at the end. And uh, a, a really great season for Maryland comes to an end. But uh, what a job by UConn. What a job by Jim Penders. That's a team that I was skeptical of a lot of the season. Now they're going to Super Regionals, and only Tennessee has more wins than them. And they're set up pretty well, I feel like. I think the regional format is tougher on UConn than the Super Regional format is. Um, because they're in any time, you know, you have high quality pitching, but maybe not the depth of pitching. The supers are for you. Um, and that's kind of where UConn is at. 
Um, they've got a small number of arms that are really good and can compete against just about anybody. And then when those get short is when they get in trouble, which is part of what's impressive about what they were able to do this weekend in winning, in winning that regional with Maryland, it feels a little like you and I, Teddy talked about this, that like in the end, what really ended up being most notable about Maryland is like, man, could they mash, but we spent a lot of time the first half of the season kind of, you know, gawking at how good their pitching was. And there was still aspects of that, like Savakul and Ramsey were as steady as they needed to be uh, throughout the entirety of the season. And Savakul really kind of ran through the tape and had a really good big 10 season. But as the season went on, like their pitching staff really backslid. It was a team that had a six ERA in big 10 play. And I don't need to remind our listeners that it wasn't exactly a banner season in the big 10 in terms of the, the quality of competition there. So, um, they, I you know, some of it is, is long seasons and Nick Dean was injured and I'm sure there are other injuries, little Nick nicked up things here and there. Like I'm sure there is that, but, um, they, they, on the map, it just kind of looked like in this regional that kind of came back to bite a little bit where they weren't able to do anything against UConn early in the, the regional final. And then they, they gave up 10 to UConn in the winner's bracket game. And it just feels like at the wrong time that kind of cropped up on them and they, they scored plenty of runs, but couldn't hold UConn off the scoreboard. Um, quickly on this, I will, uh, I will allow you to give us some color from the college park regional because there was a lot of talk about, I mean, the atmosphere looked amazing, but obviously the facility is what it is. Uh, what was it just generally quickly like to, uh, to be covering <laughs> that regional when we kind of went into it, wondering how they were going to be able to pull it off. It was from an atmosphere perspective. It was amazing. The Maryland fans absolutely showed out the, there were a lot of students there, uh, especially on, on, uh, Monday and Sunday. Uh, and they, they definitely made themselves heard. And so that part was, was, was amazing. Uh, you also saw facility limitations in other ways. Like there's literally like one way to get into the stadium. Uh, and it wasn't like the line was crazy long at any point that I saw, but, um, you know, there's only so much concession in there as well. And, uh, but it was, I, I think it was great that Maryland was able to find a way to pull this off on campus. Uh, it was, it was something really special and, uh, well, the, the future of that program looks to be very bright. Rob Vaughn is the youngest coach in major conferences. Um, he certainly seems to have things rolling there. As long as Maryland's able to keep him happy and, and keep him in college park, you have to feel good about where that, uh, where that program is headed. And, and this weekend was a great advertisement for that. All right. Uh, Statesboro regional Georgia Southern hosted as the number 16 seed. They were not involved in the regional final. However, as they go one and two, it was Texas tech and Notre Dame battling it out. And ultimately Notre Dame swept through this regional um, Notre Dame sure felt like uh, they should have hosted. A lot of people felt like Notre Dame should have hosted and uh, they really went out and, and made their case uh, as clear as they could make it this weekend. However, the, um, the games were all tight. Uh, they won by a total of four runs. They played two one run games against Texas tech and they, uh, they won them both. So good on Notre Dame on a weekend when offense went crazy that they were able to play their game and, and pitch really well. Uh, but it was, uh, it was not the most compelling regional because there were, there was some rain issues that got them off schedule and, all the rest of it, but it was, it was well played and well pitched. Yeah, no doubt. It was kind of weird. I mean, I don't know much about the, you know, Clement stadium down in, in Statesboro. I don't know if how much it, it, you know, maybe plays this way or if it was just like a fluke. Um, you know, certainly it's weird that 
Texas Tech got to the regional final and scored eight total runs on the weekend. That was a bit strange. You know, Georgia Southern going one and two, this is not an indictment of them to say this. I don't think, I don't mean it to be, but I think we kind of saw that coming maybe a little bit because this draw was just so tough. And hosting for your first time is a hard thing to do. Like Virginia Tech breezing through their first time hosting in a while, at least, um, is not like that's not the norm here. Like what Georgia Southern did is kind of something we see from time to time, especially for hosts that are, you know, at the back end of this top 16. So, um, and they didn't play poorly. They just got beat. Um, but yeah, I don't really know what to make of the lack of run scoring here, especially in light of the runs we saw everywhere else. Like, I think we kind of inherently understand that maybe the Stanford regional would be a little less offensive because it's, you know, cooler, a little bit cooler atmosphere, temperature wise, bigger ballparks, West coast, all of it. Um, but having the Statesboro regional be as, as pitching centric as it was, was, was a bit of a surprise. And, you know, I'll admit this is one I didn't see a ton of too. Part of it is because once regionals kind of fall behind, it's kind of hard to like, you know, when you're watching regional elimination games or regional final games, it's a little bit harder to go back to games that are earlier in the bracket because they don't feel as important. So you end up not catching up as much, but regardless, um, you know, a lot of close wins for Notre Dame, like you said, in this regional, I don't know what to expect going into the weekend because I, you know, I don't know exactly what to make of this particular weekend. And obviously Tennessee presents a, a particularly difficult challenge. Yes. Yeah, a uniquely difficult challenge coming for Notre Dame, but uh, it, it must be said, Link Jarrett just won back regionals and back-to-back years. Notre Dame uh, like has never done that before. Uh, truly, truly impressive uh, for Notre Dame. And, Uh, having to go on the road this year, uh, unlike last year. So they will play Tennessee this weekend, and we will break that down and all all of the eight super regional matchups on the Thursday edition of the Baseball America College podcast. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast in your favorite podcast app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, We go at it twice a week throughout the season and the postseason. Uh, So we'll be be back here on Thursday with those super regional previews. Um, in the meantime, you can read plenty of stuff over at baseballamerica.com. Our written region, super regional previews will be uh, going up over the next few days, hopefully starting tomorrow. Uh, need, to, need to really get going on those because uh, this week flies by uh, as uh, you know, we'll, we'll have baseball again before we know it on Friday. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill and Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Uh, great start to the NCAA tournament, hoping for another great weekend here as, uh, as, as we get ready for, for super regionals. I know uh, Joe and I are, are enjoying it. I'm sure you are as well. Look, you just listened to like an 80 minute podcast about college baseball. You must have enjoyed this weekend. And so hopefully we can get another great weekend of weather and baseball uh, around the country for super regionals. For Joe, I'm Teddy. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. 
Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.